Welcome, welcome. This is John Kane Live. Um, this is episode one. This is a new episode one. There are previous episodes, but um, I kind of labeled them as undrafted, killed them because they were iterative. You know, you want to see what works, what doesn't work, right? So this is a new episode one. This also might go into the graveyard of, you know, of creative material, but let's let's hope uh, let's hope this is something something special. Um, so if you're new, the way this works is I talk about things that I think are interesting, and I try to sell you things along the way. It's you know pretty basic. Um, first thing I wanted to talk to you about is museums. So I live in D.C. and there's I don't know 45 museums here. Evidently, some of the best museums in the world are here. I've heard. Um, but it's a little overwhelming, the idea of going to one of these museums. And so I'm going to kind of walk you through like what this looks like. So I went to this you know, museum uh, in Chinatown, National Portrait Gallery. Uh, cool spot. But go in there, and there's something like 1,000 or 1,500 different works of art in there. And it's a Sunday afternoon, and it's 1 o'clock. I'm going to spend an hour there and get home in time to do some shopping, right? This is just part of my, you know day to feel like I'm having a nice day in the city, right? So um, so I get in there, and there's four levels and 1,000 or 1,500 works of art, and I don't really know where to begin, so I'm just walking around and trying to take things in, but I've never really had much of an emotional reaction in a museum before, so I'm walking around, and you know, I'm, I'm seeing different landscapes, and like, oh, that's a beautiful waterfall, well, that's, that's majestic, and, and it's like we should have, you know, gone westward after all. I guess it was a good call. Um, seeing a bunch of bison, like, well, it's, it's sad. You know, they're, they're in smaller numbers today, I suppose. Yeah, I, I would agree that's sad. And feeling uninspired and moving around. And, and I come across this room. And the painter's name is Abbott Henderson Taylor. I look him up. Uh, so I go in there, and he has this whole room at the National Portrait Gallery. And there's just angels in this room. There's ten of them. He only, evidently, has a thing with angels. And his angels are all hauntingly realistic and beautiful. And their eyes are so detailed, and they are kind of focused outward at the viewer. And so in each, each painting you look at, you get the sense that the angel's looking at you. And so it's like you're standing in the middle of that room, and it's like you're being watched by a bunch of angels so I spent an hour in there and I was just it was so moving um you know just I I felt like I was having like an actual the first time in my life an emotional you know experience with art where I was like wow this is okay this is what I guess people talk about you know this is what I've been missing this is what I've been reading about and silently judging this whole time uh I spent an hour in there and I you know fascinated with this with this painter but I, I was left thinking you know, I stumbled upon this room, and how many people walk by this room or, or kind of walk through it in a hurried way, and and because there's just an overwhelming amount of material here, I, th- I think that like there are likely some hidden gems like this in any museum, you know, where you should be spending a good part of your time, um, and unfortunately, there's like no. As the museum goer, like, how the hell, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to know? There's no program to walk you through anything, right? So someone needs to figure that one out. It's like, I'm sure that, like, if we all collectively got together and just, like, you know, shared notes on, like, some of our favorite things we've seen in museums, 
we could get a really great list together of all the hot spots of the museums in DC and we could just know exactly where to go and have really just emotional experience after emotional experience. It would be draining at the end of the day, but it would be beautiful. Uh, so someone, you know, take that as an action item because uh, I'm likely not going to do anything on it. Uh, so before we get started on the next topic, I wanted to briefly describe um, my experience with SodaStream. This is an ad, by the way. This is how I start ads. Uh, SodaStream is an interesting device to put on your countertop. I opted for the white one. It was $40 more expensive, but I'm doing a white thing. So the way it works is you take still water, pop it in. Five seconds later, boom, carbonated water. And it has a nice, slightly tart taste to it because of the carbonic acid in the gas. You know, perfectly calorie-free and everything. Uh, and it's a nice taste. You can control the bubbles that are in there. And I'm a huge fan. I'm converted. Uh, the reason I switched over to SodaStream from, I guess, my fountain, like my sink, you know, as before, was I was trying to drink a little bit less, just moderately less. Like we're talking, you know, two wine, two, like an average of two glasses of wine per night to an average of like one and a half glasses of wine a night. And the reason I think I was drinking wine in the first place was. I just need something interesting to sip while I was working. That's primarily the reason I, I drink fluids other than water most of the time. I'm drinking coffee when I'm reading the newspapers to have something to sip. It's a nice motion. It makes it feel, the whole thing feel, you know, more engaging, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so I, it's been successful so far. I've moderately reduced my wine consumption and I'm staying more hydrated. So give it a shot. Soda stream. That was a long ad. I know. I'll probably, I'll try to trim them down and move them forward. So back to the issues at hand here. Uh, the next topic we need to discuss urgently is uh, reality TV. So reality TV is an interesting concept, right? In the sense that, like, what, what's, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to say, let's take some humans. We're interesting as humans. We have, you know, interesting tendencies. And let's put us in a weird situation and see how we react. That's what reality TV tries to do. And that's why it's interesting, because it's like, oh, look at these humans, and aren't humans funny? And like, look how they're all reacting, and they're, they're hopeless trying to find love. Uh, oh, they're hopeless trying to get along with 15 people in a house, right? And like, oh, that's interesting. So, but I think there's a way we could do it much better. Like, why are we choosing such uninteresting situations to put people in? Like, that's so boring to me. Like, well, I don't care how 20 people interact with each other in a house. Like, like come on, like, I, I could just go to a, I don't know, like a uninteresting house party if I wanted to see that. However, the concept is pretty brilliant. And I think we can really dial it up a notch in terms of the types of situations we put people that are willing to get paid to do this kind of shit. Uh, and some, you know, I'm still noodling on this one, but just some preliminary ideas. What if we took, uh, you know, 15, 20 people, 30 people, put them on an island, maybe 50 people, let's make it really interesting. 50 people, put them on an island, and then told them they had to form a government, elect a leader, and a leader, and then that's all the direction they're given. And there are, you know, people interspersed, <clears throat> people interspersed to make sure no one kills each other or does anything, you know, illegal. Um, and there's some consequence if they're, you know, unable to form a structure in time. There's some neighboring island that has you know, this is given the same amount of resources and 
and they could be coming at any point in self-made ships and attacking their island, and so they have to form a government, and they have to erect barriers, right? So that would be so interesting to watch. Um, and I'm not talking, like, I don't want it to get to the point where it's, like, you know, like the Stanford experiment where, like, the prisoners and guards, like, that guy went obviously a little far. I think there's a middle ground between, you know, the Bachelor and the Stanford experiment is what I'm saying. I want to I I go right down the middle with that. Um, and so that's just one concept I'm, I'm noodling with. But um, I think there's a, there's a heck of a lot more opportunity there. But, like, let's just, let's just be – let's just put people in more interesting situations, you know? Um, so I think reality TV just can simply be done a lot better and we should be demanding more of whatever, you know, nut job producers are in charge of signing off on this kind of stuff. So, you know, write your producer, I guess, is, is where we're leaving that one. Uh, before we get started on the next topic, I have one more ad to throw at you. Uh, this is from a company called Maplum. So I'm a subscriber of a monthly facial care product with that company. You know, nothing too intense, just like, you know, the moisturizer and eye cream, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, so, and they sent me my most recent box, this little vial. They called it uh, essential oils, but in the instruction, they said, just sniff this throughout the day. And I was like, that's well, a strange thing to ask somebody to do. Um, but I did it. Of course I did it. So I started originally, I was like, well, that's interesting. It's like, it's like, so it's like chamomile extract and some of the stuff I can't pronounce or remember. Um, and they said it would be enlivening and... It probably isn't that enlivening, you know, but I, I still like it. I, it's, it's, a, it's a nice smell, and when I'm doing it, it makes me feel like I'm Napoleon, like Napoleon Bonaparte sniffing snuff or something like that. So I, it's a, a, but now it's instinctive. I'm just I carry it with me in my pocket. I'm sniffing it throughout the day. I, I, I think I, I, I pretend that it gives me some energy level to like focus on something. I don't know, but it smells great. You're gonna be addicted. You're gonna love it. Um, Maplum, go get some. So last topic here for this, uh, for this episode, uh, I want to chat a bit about graveyards. So here's the thing with graveyards. We've been doing them wrong, I think, pretty much this whole time. And by this whole time, I mean the course of human history. Um, and, you know, let's rewind before I get, you know, to show you how, how poorly this is done. Let's rewind. Let's go back to the funeral. And we're in the funeral home, right? And like, what's, what, what are we hearing in the funeral? What are we saying? We're saying... It's all so optimistic and cheerful. Like this person lived such a beautiful life. They were, they're going to be missed and remembered. And that's all. They wouldn't want us to be sad. They'd want us to be happy for them. And you know, let's all try to like. We could only hope that we would live a full of life as this person lived. So optimistic, so lovely. And then we go and put them in the ground in this place that's drab and gray and morose and depressing as hell. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, we, something was lost there. Like, we're trying to achieve something. And with how we, we, we talk about death and then where you actually where the story ends is so freaking sad and depressing and no one ever goes there. Like who like the idea of going to a graveyard is like so, you know, such a buzzkill. Right. So here's what I'm thinking. Instead of gravestones, when you die, you and this is funded by taxpayers. You get to choose a statue to represent you. And that statue could basically you know, capture you in a certain activity that that embodies the life that you lived. Whether that's you painting, spray painting something if you're Banksy, for instance, right? Or, I don't know, you on, on a horseback if you were someone with an Napoleon complex. Like, what, there's the options are pretty limitless, right? As far as the types of, the ways that we could capture the lives that people lived. 
Can you imagine walking through a graveyard that was just thousands of statues of different people living these such multivaried lives? I would go and walk around there every weekend. It would be very crowded, I can tell you that. People would be having picnics next to, I don't know, the, 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 the hippie statue that you know had very long hair and a guitar, right? The, the people could, you know, they would probably make, there would be like certain, um, like check, uh, what do you call it, land lamp, landmarks throughout there. Be like, oh, just meet me at the hippie, you know, and people would meet there at picnics, right? So. Um, that's just one potential solution, but I think you would agree with me that, like, this sort of came up with this notion of, like, let's just put a slab in the ground and, and mark some, you know, basically give people the option to, to summarize their life in, like, six words and 24-point font going around the, the bottom of a gravestone. It's like, like, who came up with that idea, and why have we been going on along with it for such a long time? It's, you know, we're all, it's really, we should be ashamed of ourselves. So, uh... The action item here is, you know, uh, start a nonprofit and uh, do something about it because I'm not going to. Uh, and let me know if you need some emotional support, vocal support. I'm happy to join uh, several meetings, you know, if, if you'd like me to. Uh, but uh, something clearly needs to be done. So that's a wrap for this episode and I'll talk to you soon.